Growing up in Germany, Nicole moved to the U.S. as a teen and never felt like she fit in. In the military during Desert Storm, she played taps for 600 funerals of her colleagues, and that nearly broke her. She married a man before coming out as gay. Her beloved mom died at the age of 51, and the rest of her family rejected her. When COVID hit, she and her wife took a wild cross-country trip in an RV. They experienced discrimination and many, many vehicle troubles. Then when they returned to Southern California, she landed a job reporting to a toxic boss who had a history of discriminating against queer people. Welcome to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, where I discover stories of people finding their fertile ground through sheer grit and resilience. I'm your host, Marie Gallagher-Martin, and this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. I help professional services firms avoid boring and boost employee engagement, productivity, and readership. I translate technical, complex, and lackluster language into accessible, dynamic, story-driven text. I alternate this Finding Fertile Ground podcast with my other podcast, Companies That Care, which is about business leaders making a difference in the world. Check out www.fertilegroundcommunications.com for more details. This week on the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, I interviewed Nicole Lee, who has more grit and resilience than I even expected before I interviewed her. Let's hear her story. Hello, Nicole. Welcome to Finding Fertile Ground. Hi, Marie. It's very, very good to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to hear your story. Can you share with our listeners about your childhood? Where did you grow up and what was your childhood and family like? I was born into a military family. I was born in Germany and lived there for the first 14, 15 years of my life. There was a lot of moving around. My father served in Desert Storm and I have two siblings. So I was the oldest of the three of us girls. And when we came to the States, it was like a whole different world, literally, because I was going to American schools at that point and the education system was much different than what I was used to. So that's my childhood in a nutshell. Did you learn German or were you pretty isolated? Yeah, I was bilingual growing up and I was was. It's a yes, strong word. Yes, there. yes, I understand. When you move, you know, and you don't have anybody to speak your native language with, you just kind of lose it over time. But yeah, all, all my friends were German and we spoke German while we were running around playing in the streets and hanging out and riding our bikes. And what was the area of Germany that you were in? It's near Nuremberg. It's a town called Schwabach. So my parents actually taught at an army school before I was wow. born in Straubing. Germany in Bavaria. Oh, how exciting. How cool. Yeah. That's where I was conceived, apparently. <laughs> and I just found a story the other day. My dad was a math major and he showed up in Germany, was recruited into teaching the army, shows up the first day, wow. the principal says, so you're my new English teacher, huh? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Instead of math the first year. So it was kind of disorganized. It's totally like the military too, to like just change up what you need to do. Exactly. Then my parents traveled through Europe and we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We didn't really ever have enough money to go overseas or anything like that. Mm -hmm. We camped across the country and things like that. But I think the fact that they lived abroad, it really planted a seed in me because after I graduated from college, I went to Japan for three years and my sister went to China. It's so interesting to think back on how my parents planted that seed in our heads. Yeah, for sure. It took a while to blossom. That's very cool. Good for you. So are you willing to share your coming out story? Yeah, absolutely. I was married to a man to begin with that I met while I was serving in the military. And I knew I was different growing up and I knew that what I was doing didn't really fit what I wanted to do, but I had to live under dad's umbrella and in the box that he raised me to be in and not disappoint. So eventually I just came to terms with, okay, this is not who I am. I'm lying to people and this feels Mm -hmm. awful. And when my parents separated, I was still married to him. And so my dad, unfortunately, just stopped speaking to me because I was still having a relationship with my mom. And my mom was the one who left my dad. Mm. And so I was like, well, if he's not going to talk to me, I might as well stop being this person that I'm not. I told my husband at the time, I'm really sorry. This is just who I am. And it's nothing against you or who you are. It's just it literally is not you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, everybody uses that line, but it actually was <laughs> true. And then I met a girl that he worked with and she was out and we just hit it off and it was totally cool and fun. So when I came out to my mom and I brought my new girlfriend over, it was 
so simple in that way. That's how it should feel and be when any person comes out to their parents and she was just so accepting and she gave her a hug and it was just the warmest I had ever felt at that point because I was just like, okay, this is totally no big deal. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. My mom died 10 years ago and her anniversary just passed. So talking about her is like... (laughs) So she was really unconditionally loving to you. Yeah, she was the one person in my family that really actually was totally accepting. So when she passed, it was just very abrupt and unexpected. It was really bad. And she was very young when she died. Yeah, she was 51. I got a call and by the time I got to the hospital, she was gone. Aortic dissection. Evidently, she had high blood pressure and ran out of medication and she was only behind four or five days and her aorta tore from the inside out. Of course, I went into this like crazy, is this going to happen to me? Her mom died young Mm. from something heart related. She's dying young from something heart related. I went crazy for a little bit just because I was like, do I have 20 years to live? You know, Mm -hmm, right. (laughs) I mean, such a short life and she had so much more to give. Luckily, I got an ultrasound and everything looked fine. And I'm very active to make Mm -hmm. sure that I take care of myself for the long term. Sorry, total tangent. Oh, that's (laughs) okay. I mean, it's all connected, isn't it? I mean, your mom. So, I mean, coming out, it's not even like you come out once and you're good to go. You come out every day to new people that you meet. You come out to new jobs, new coworkers, new bosses. I wish it was just like a one and done situation. Yes, Um, I'm sure. I really do because you just never know who you're going to meet or if they're okay with it. Not that I care if they're okay with it, but you wonder, is this going to be something that they judge me on? And Mm -hmm. even in today's world, when we were traveling in our RV, we came across a lot of discrimination, unfortunately. So, you know, I'm thinking, gosh, life is beautiful on the West Coast. Everybody's so nice and accepting. And you go to other parts of the country and it's just not. So a little bit of an awakening with that. That's such a good point that you don't come out once. You have to do it every day. That's profound. And you had said on the podcast Mm -hmm. forum that your dad was very homophobic when you were growing up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I heard slander all the time. My best friend, when we got to the States, his name is Dan, and he was gay and he was very flamboyant, still is. And uh, I heard horrible things from my father about him all the time. And I just knew, gosh, like I was told as a child, even if any of my kids are gay, they're going to be disowned. I mean, he finally came around probably like two years ago, but still the relationship is very tarnished. You know, I feel like I don't know him. And he's more of a stranger to me now by his doing. Uh, And I'm still your kid, you know, like no different. You raised me to speak my mind and be who I am and I'm doing it. It's just, you don't like who that ended up being. And I'm sorry for that. So sad. And what about your sisters? My sisters, unfortunately, took the bandwagon of my father. What's really funny is I have a gay sister. My middle sister's gay. Oh, I know, (laughs) but I know. (laughs) And she's been like totally accepted by him because she's a tomboy and it was kind of expected growing up that she would end up gay. And so like when she came out, it wasn't a big deal. And because I'm very feminine and I was married to a man and I wear heels and makeup and have long hair, it's like this big shock. So yeah. That that (laughs) would be hard to not be resentful about that if it were me. It's weird. She went down to live with him in Texas after my parents separated. And it's very strange to me, but I've tried so hard to understand it and I just can't. And so I've given up trying, honestly, I just have accepted it. There's literally nothing I can do about it. Right. There's only so much you can do. I mean, I have a strange relationship with my brother. Now I now can see him, but we're never going to be close. And I'm guessing it's probably similar to your family. It's like you can tolerate them now maybe, but that relationship will never be the same. It's just been so long that I feel like the longer time goes on without any sort of connection, the harder it is to reconnect. My youngest sister, gosh, we were so close growing up and it was just like everybody just disappeared. And then Mm -hmm. when my mom died, I had already been out. I was with my wife at the time, like 10 years ago. And it was just so terrifying because I was looking to both of them for comfort, 
for compassion, for some sort of unity. And, you know, that the only two people in the entire world that understood what I was going through were these two people. My mom's birthday happens to fall on Mother's Day, like right after she died. I know. And she died on Easter. So she has like two anniversaries. It's kind of complicated. It's complicated. (laughs) You know, I was just looking to them for anything that they were willing to give. And it was being hung up on when you're crying and in pain already, you know, and being totally rejected just time and time again. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done to you both? And Mm -hmm. I I just, I didn't understand. I still don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I doubt I ever will, but I hope they're both happy. I really do. And they deserve it. We all deserve happiness, but Mm -hmm. maybe someday they'll come around. I have no idea. Yeah. I'm so sorry (laughs) that happened to you. That's really heartbreaking. It's okay. You created a new family, which is, For sure. which is a good thing. So just going back a little bit, you yeah. joined the military to get school paid did. for, and then you <laughs> are a trumpet player. Do you still play mm-hmm. the trumpet? Oh gosh, I wish I did. I was trying to look for some sort of community band when we got to Long Beach. And the only thing that I could really find that you didn't have to audition and get like really fancy and be under all this pressure because I've already done that. I've been there. I just kind of wanted it to be like a fun little gig. Yeah. It was all the serious bands. And I'm like, gosh, I'm just not into it like that anymore. And so Uh I sold my trumpet actually to a band teacher and I really loved his story. He was like, gosh, there's this kid that just really is struggling. His family doesn't have money. I mean, this was a $3,000 trumpet. Like I just wasn't into making money off of things. Mm-hmm. I just want to do good for somebody, especially if they need it. And this kid mm-hmm. had this really rough story and he was playing on this crappy trumpet that was all banged up. And I was like, you know what? This is a teacher doing this for his student also. He's going out of his way. I'm like, let's call it 150 bucks and just surprise the kid and have, have fun. And he was like, what? what? Like he was so excited and it was so cute. And all of that. But oh, yeah, that was- it was so sweet. And he sent me a picture with the kid and the trumpet oh. the day that he gave it to him. It was just like so heartwarming. I absolutely loved it. Oh. But yeah, I played all growing up. My dad played the trumpet. So oh. I mean, I wanted to be like him. He was my hero growing up. And then I joined the military to play the trumpet in the military. And I lost count of funerals, but I, it was over 600 oh. or something that I played taps for because I joined right before 9-11. And then 9-11 happened. And then all this, you know, domino effect so it was really hard that must have been a little Um, emotionally wrenching oh my gosh why do you think I got out (laughs) gosh I mean honestly a lot of people are like oh my gosh you did 10 years why didn't you like go on and retire I'm like I was around death all the time Mm -hmm. and not to get too morbid but almost all these people were my age or younger by the time I'm 27 getting out they're like I'm watching these parents bury their children and I have to be this stoic force, if you will. I can't show emotion and I'm very emotional. I cried everything and it was very, very hard to keep a straight face. And I had to draw boundaries because at first I would introduce myself to the family and I just noticed I was a wreck afterwards for days. And I was just like, okay, I can't do this anymore. The hardest funeral I played for was my command sergeant major who ran the National Guard in Washington so he was the top guy other than the general. He got diagnosed with cancer and he asked for me to play for his funeral if I was still in when he passed. And so unfortunately that did occur. This man went to every funeral for every soldier. I saw him at every service that I was at and such a good man. And so when his wife saw me, it was just the sweetest thing and the saddest thing because obviously she was mourning and grieving, but Mm -hmm. she just hugged me and sobbed on my shoulder. And it was just so sweet. Yeah. I mean, my military experiences, it was definitely something I would never take back. The people that I met through my experience were incredible people. They're my family. Those are the people I grew up with, actually. Mm -hmm. My first sense of family and moving around so much as a kid, you know, you're always the new kid. So like here, it was just Mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, I'm not in school anymore. These are the people I see the most often. They were the people that knew I was gay first. They were the people that I knew would accept me, you know, and at the time, don't ask, don't tell was still in place. So if it got out, I could get kicked out and I just had to come clean to somebody. (laughs) But these were the people that I felt the most comfortable with. My early 20s were complicated, obviously being married to a man coming out, my family, 
military, all of that. Glad you had a support system there. Wow. Oh, for sure. I uh-huh. I would never give that up. Mm. These people are just so special to me, honestly. And mm. even though I live in Southern California now and they're up in Seattle, I still keep in contact with so many of them. They're so special. Yeah. That's wonderful. So, <laughs> wow. Okay. So cool. I'm glad I asked you about that. You don't play the trumpet anymore, but in Portland, we have this great band called the One More Time oh. Around Again Marching Band. And it's uh-huh. all these adults who were in high school band and oh. they actually play in all the parades. I'm looking that up one more time around. One more time Portland. around marching yeah, band. I'm yeah. That to myself Something that like that so would cute. be fun for you, you know. Oh, yeah. Their trademark song is Louie Louie. They're famous oh, oh, for I've that. I've played that a million times. Yeah. And they're, I mean, we had this big rose parade. Uh, well, we haven't had it the last couple of years because of COVID, but they are the most popular in the yeah. lineup. Yeah. They get, yeah, they're very popular. And there's a flag regiment. Love that. I've known a number of people who played in that band and they just love it. So I if you had that. something like that, I mean, it seems like in Southern California, they should have something like that. I'm sure they do. I just haven't found it. You know, if I found a marching band, I wouldn't even get a fancy trumpet. You should look into something like that. It'd be, be fun. The other thing that my husband and I do is we are in a choir called Rock Voices where we sing rock music oh. and it's a choir. And so it's fun for adults to do those types of things. You I know? totally agree. You feel like yeah. a kid again. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's oh. It's fun because we're, we actually sing rock music. You know, we don't sing choir, choir music. So it's even more fun. So totally different vibe than your average choir. Totally. So I encourage you to look into something like that. I will. I absolutely will. That's really fun. (laughs) So going back to your early Mm twenties, you were in the tech industry and what did you do in the tech industry? I guess it's more telecom. I started at Sprint when I was 18. And I did the military and college at the same time. And so I was working full-time for Sprint and then as a sales rep. And then I just kind of grew up the chain. I went back and forth between Sprint and Verizon for 18 years up until recently. Mm -hmm. And then I finally got out of telecom. I'm in software now. I was able to grow up the ranks. And by the time I got to SoCal, I was looking over the Southwest market and looking over about 50 stores or so different locations throughout Arizona and Southern California, a lot of driving, but I had a fun time and I love sales. It's so invigorating and fun and getting to know people and talking to them. And then later on in my career, I was able to focus on development and leadership abilities and training others. And so that's really where my passion is now is training and Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. of others. Obviously sales was a priority for the job. But the majority of my career is telecom. And then when COVID hit, I was working for Sprint and T-Mobile bought Sprint three or four months into COVID. And we were getting messages nonstop. You guys are fine. You're not going to get laid off. You'll have a job. Don't worry. And then we all get on this call and there was no easy way to say it. Hey, you're getting laid off. Everybody was getting laid off because of COVID right now. And now we're dealing with this. What? So scary. And then my wife got laid off two months later and she's a chef and COVID hit her really hard too with the rest of the hospitality industry. So I've gone through a complete overhaul as far as my career. I just told myself, I'm not going to go to telecom again. I don't want to do the 365 anymore. I mean, there was 363, you get Christmas and Thanksgiving. You feel like you can't take vacation because it's just too much and sales go down. It's yeah, it was a whole lot of pressure just for cell phones. It was tough. That's why it took me so long to find another job. If I would have applied to Uh, uh T-Mobile or Verizon or AT&T or any of those third-party retailers, I would have had a job within a month or two. I had to draw a boundary. I wanted a better work-life balance. I wanted time with my dog and not so much time in the car driving around. So I was applying everywhere. Zillow, Amazon, like all these big tech companies for account management. And finally, finally, Toast looked at me and I went through six interviews with them and landed a job with them. And I've been there for four and a half months now. And it's pretty crazy because I've never had a job where I felt like I could intertwine what I'm passionate about and my job at the same time. And so they have all these like ERG programs and multigrain is like their LGBTQIA+. We have so many letters in the alphabet now. Uh, <laughs> right. Multigrain. That's nice. Yes, That's a nice it's term. It's really cute. Yeah. yeah. I'm not Pacific Islander, but there's tapioca for Pacific Islanders. <laughs> there's pumpernickel and rye for the black and brown communities. Wow. It's just so inclusive. And so I signed up to be on the multigrain leadership board. And so I'm help planning out Pride Month and 
you know, doing stuff that like I've never wow. had a chance to do. And because this company is so incredibly inclusive and they really mean it when they say bring your whole self to work every day to the point where the trans community, if they want gender affirming surgery, the toast insurance that we offer pays for it. And I just really? am like, yes, oh it like gosh. touches my heart so much knowing wow. that. Like I said, I cried everything. I was on the trans day of visibility call the other day. And I learned about this from this trans man, Sebastian, and I was in tears. Oh my gosh, this was so amazing. How inclusive like they really mean it and that so incredible I, it's amazing and I feel like I found my new home mm-hmm. and I know that LinkedIn post I was talking about me ugly crying on a call <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I felt like this huge sense of relief after having to sell my home in Long Beach because we couldn't afford the mortgage anymore both being on unemployment we sold our cars we sold our belongings we sold everything we owned and we bought an RV and we thought okay crazy idea maybe there's somewhere else we want to live. And so we ventured around and took a loop around the country, saw some incredible things and beautiful places. And then we ended up coming back to SoCal, you know, because we just love it here. So when you were traveling around, you had a lot of experiences. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, nobody tells you when you buy an RV brand new that that's kind of the worst idea in the world. Oh, really? Because, yeah, you want to buy used, evidently, especially since COVID. Of course, I learned this all after purchasing, right? The RV industry since COVID has catapulted over 4,000% in sales because so many jobs have went remote and now people are having the ability to travel and work at the same time with labor shortages, with lack of product because of labor shortages, these RVs are being slowly built instead of quickly built. And then the demand is way higher than the actual supply and the inventory. So they're kind of just thrown together. You know, if you can imagine like a McDonald's assembly line to build a burger, that's kind of how an RV works. And the manufacturing process is crazy. You get like 15 minutes to put in a refrigerator, a stove, and a microwave. And so if something doesn't get done properly, oh, well. So we bought this beautiful brand new RV. (laughs) It looked perfect, right? It had everything, the king size bed and all the stuff that we wanted. And we were like, this is going to be so amazing. And little did we know that we drove it off the lot and the slide out, there's a thing that comes out to give you more space. That thing was pinching a ground wire that... Uh, powered all of our outlets. So we were on the road for two weeks and the wire eventually pinched to the point where we didn't have any outlets in our RV. Oh Brand my new. God. We just got it for two weeks. I know, it was wild. So we went up the West Coast. We took the PCH all the way up through California and through most of Oregon. Then we went into Washington and then we went into Idaho. And that's when the weather started getting really cold. And I couldn't believe this, but when we were in Idaho, it was snowing and we were like, oh my gosh, I thought we'd plan this to miss all of this snow. So we see my wife's family and we go down into Utah and I did all the planning. And so I had this RV campground picked out and I was so excited to see Bryce Canyon in the snow because most people go there in the spring, summer, fall, you know, it's just red rock. I thought it was going to be really special to see with the snow is like, you know, this beautiful photo. And that's pretty much all I got because the RV park actually closed. They didn't even tell us that they were going to be closed. And so uh, we show up and it's like two feet of snow. I don't think we're going to be staying here. So we booked a hotel for the night and it was beautiful and fun and kind of you know, nice to stay in a hotel and have a bathroom that was larger than, I don't know, an outhouse or a porter potty. So then, oh gosh, there's so many stories. Honestly, I could go on and on. When we got to Texas, because I went and saw my grandmother, who is like 87, and some cousins of mine in Texas. That's where my dad's from. And I did see my dad while we were in Texas too, briefly. And when we were in Austin, I don't know if you followed the weather a couple of years ago, but there was that giant freeze oh, yeah. that throughout Texas. So we were in it. And oh, Was your electricity working then? No. So I had planned out this warranty appointment to be in San Antonio because every warranty appointment is like two to three months out. And I'm like, okay, is where it are we really two, two to three oh, months yeah. out? So you basically yeah. had to put up with the situation until you could get an appointment. That's literally what happened. Oh my yeah. God. Wow. <laughs> For two months in the middle of winter also, like when it's freezing and all you want is your space oh. heater. It was tough. And so when we're in this storm, it was just crazy. I mean, it snowed so badly, like all of Texas had shut down and we're used to Seattle. You know, PNW weather, where if it yeah. snows, no big deal. You can still right. go to the grocery store. You can still manage. And 
no joke, the only thing open were gas stations. And <sighs> in a RV, the fridges aren't very big. So it's not like we're grocery shopping for weeks at a time. We're grocery shopping for two or three days at a time. And mm-hmm. we had planned to go grocery shopping in Austin when we got there because we were with my family and, you know, we were cooking from their fridges and that kind of thing. So we didn't have any food. We had like one five gallon jug of water left when it hit. Oh. And, and we usually carry like four or five at a time that are full. And we were totally expecting the city to just still be open. And so no power, no water, five days. We were using the pool water from the RV park to like oh boil our dishes. Wow. Our toilet broke. Our toilet broke. Oh my gosh. Oh. That was like a catastrophe. Marie. Oh my God. No toilet and no power to water. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. We had to resort to a bucket for a couple of days oh, um, until we could get to somewhere with power to at least use their facilities. What else broke? Our refrigerator broke during the power outage. Our water pump froze. And so it was damaged. So by the time we got to our warranty appointment and our very short list of the ground wire, it turned into this giant list of stuff that was broken because it just wasn't put together very well. So luckily we got it all fixed. It took like six weeks. So on top of being in Texas, because of the storm and being stuck in Austin longer than anticipated, we were stuck in San Antonio for six weeks because we were waiting on parts to come in and the parts came in damaged. We were experiencing a lot of discrimination at the RV park that we were staying at. We were so ready to get out of Texas, honestly. And then it was just like, oh, the parts delayed another five days. Oh, the part came in damaged. So now you have to wait over the weekend. The coolant thing for the fridge, it came in sideways and you're supposed to have it upright. So like they wouldn't help us on a Friday because it's a five hour project. And so they're like, you have to come back Monday. So like we plan on being in San Antonio for a week. We plan on being in Austin for a week. And between my family and kind of seeing all them, we had three weeks total, maybe four weeks total planned in Texas. And we were in Texas for two and a half months oh um, my God. because of the storm and the waiting for the parts. So that sounds yeah. horrible. <laughs> it was terrible. And then to just get these looks like, you know, what are these people doing here from California? <laughs> it was like, oh. be nice, please. Like we're, we're fragile right now. <laughs> Did they give you just nasty looks or? Oh, were all they... the time yeah. in the RV uh, park. It's, you know, it's an older generation, uh-huh. mostly that RVs and they uh-huh. have their uh, ways. Uh, we were around that community and uh, it was very hard. My wife was verbally attacked on two different occasions oh, um, because she's, masculine presenting and so Mm -hmm. they were not on board with that and I'm like what is your problem it's just a woman with short hair like right this is not a big deal (laughs) but yeah so that was really really you must have been so glad to leave Texas we were literally, <laughs> I kid you not, literally as soon as the part was installed, we were like hauling ass out of yes. there. Oh, man. And drove as we were determined to get from San Antonio to at least the state border on the way to New Orleans, like in the same day. And we did accomplish that. <laughs> wow. I know. Wild. Texas was wild. Everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah, the egos. Right, right. Good. <laughs> Did you continue to have problems with your RV or was it oh, okay yeah. after that? Really? No, when we had our refrigerator repaired, we had no idea until the next stop. But the technician that repaired the RV actually caused a gas leak in the oh refrigerator. My God. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so I had to schedule another warranty appointment and that one was three months out and we planned that one for Orlando. So yeah, I mean, literally we had the refrigerator physically blow up with fire in somebody's face that was trying to help us. Oh my it. God. Yeah. And he had to duck so fast. It was terrifying because he was helping us try to fix it. Cause when we discovered it, we were right on the border of Florida. I don't remember. Pensacola area and we didn't know about it and so we were like what is that smell and we realized it was coming from the fridge and then a couple guys super nice they were from Michigan to tell you like what kind of people they were in blue state they were like what are you ladies having problems with and they came and helped us out it was so sweet and it literally ended up exploding in his face it was awful and I felt so bad but luckily he didn't get it fixed but we got the gas off in time for it to not burn his face off so (laughs) this is our being in an hour (laughs) 
yeah, I don't think I ever want to take an RV anywhere. No. <laughs> I know. I think I've talked you out of it and I didn't even wow. you. <laughs> yes. And then also I've often told people when my husband and I, we met in Japan and we were there for three years and then we traveled around Asia for two and a half months. And I often oh tell God. people, if you want to test your relationship, you be oh. together 24 seven. So not only were you together 24 seven, but you were also in a very small, small space with all these yep. horrible challenges. I mean, what oh, was that yeah. like? Oh gosh, my wife had multiple breakdowns. Yeah. <laughs> I try to be the stronger one for her because she's like, I can't deal with all this because they're the ones looking at her. We're both experiencing the discrimination, but she's uh-huh. the one that's she being got it worse. Yeah. Yeah. I felt so bad. And I was like, okay, after this warranty appointment in Orlando, we had plans to go up the East Coast and then go along the northern part of the US. And then make a trip de- back down to SoCal if, if we ended up going back to SoCal. So we completely cut out the East Coast. We took a completely different route and we just kind of went north a little bit. Gosh, we almost hit Virginia and then we started heading west again because we didn't want to take mm-hmm. the same route home. Uh-huh. But we completely changed our plans because it was just too hard and the breakdowns constantly. I mean, we were not on our own timeline the entire uh-huh. trip, the entire uh-huh. 10 months we were on the road. We were on warranty appointment timelines. We were not able to leave. You know, we wanted to leave Florida. We were in Florida for three months. That's a long time in Florida. (laughs) Exactly. All to wait for this warranty appointment because of the gas leak. If I would have known like Florida was going to be as miserable as it was in hurricane season with the humidity, I would have planned the warranty appointment to be near DC or something Mm. where we could scoot through Florida quicker. But Mm -hmm. I thought Florida might be the place we want to live. And so I'm like, let's check out this area. Let's check out this one. And so we literally did the whole coast of Florida, the West coast down to the Keys and then up the East coast. And then I extended every stay by three or four days in order to make this warranty appointment because I was like, gosh, three months is kind of far. That's a long time to wait, but we could make it work, you know, and we made it work, but my gosh, it was awful. And then to deal with the humidity and the bugs and everything, Uh, being comfortable all day, every day, you know, it was hard being in such a small space. I mean, we had a beautiful home and I always say that our camper was the size of our old bathroom in our (laughs) home. And so to imagine living in your bathroom, that's the amount of space we had. It wasn't huge. It was only 23 feet long. And when it's humid as heck outside, you don't want to be outside, but you don't want to be cooped up in the camper. We need to get home. And then after the warranty appointment in Orlando, That was really when we first started experiencing nature too. I completely changed the trajectory. Instead of staying in RV resorts, we started staying at state parks and national parks instead and get more in tune with nature on the way home. So, you know, that was kind of when we started experiencing more beautiful things, honestly. Like Colorado was unbelievably gorgeous. Mm, Tennessee was beautiful. Kentucky was beautiful. Surprisingly, Kansas, we had one of our most special nights on the road in Kansas in the middle of nowhere. Once I changed where we were staying and we were staying in big cities before. And so I was like, okay, we can't do the cities on the way home. We just need to stick with hiking and cycling around and experiencing nature. That was the most enjoyable part. And it was also the shortest, unfortunately. Uh It was maybe two and a half months on the way home. And we made one more stop in Idaho, went to Yellowstone, and we saw her family in Boise one more time before we Uh headed home. But once we were done with Florida, we were done. (laughs) Yeah. So stressful. And a stress that you don't anticipate when you're thinking, oh, you're going to be traveling. Like you said, it really tests you. It tests you so much. And in ways that you never, never think of, especially with your partner. Yeah. You know, you think, oh, we're going to have a blast staring at each other all day, every day forever. <laughs> yeah. But you don't think the the lack of community, the lack of friends, just the fact that you don't have your regular restaurants that you like to go to yeah. or you know, the one little cute bar that you like to stop at. And they're like, Hey girls, how you doing? Your yeah. usual, you know, you just okay. don't have that. And right. then even going out to eat, my wife is very talented in the kitchen and we leave spending a hundred dollars and go, yeah, you could have done a better job. <laughs> right. Exactly. Bucks. I bet. <laughs> I bet. Did you get rid of the trailer? We did. We sold it pretty much as soon as we got back. Yeah, We were so excited to to sell it. And this little cute lady from Ventura bought it and she's Mm -hmm. 
Airbnb it out of her property. Oh, good. So, so it doesn't have to go anywhere. Nope. It doesn't move. <laughs> it doesn't fall apart on the road anymore. Oh, man. Like, it's in oh. a stationary position, which is exactly where it deserves oh, to be. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Wow. What a story. Okay. You've got a lot of stories, Nicole. You have more stories than I thought you would. So sorry. sorry. <laughs> I <need> a lot. <laughs> It's amazing. So congratulations for surviving that and for your relationship surviving that because that oh. is huge. Ooh, I'm grateful that my wife is still by my side because yes. <laughs> when I told her about this idea, she was like, okay, I think we can do that. Oh my God. She was hesitant, but oh. no joke. She was tested. We were tested. Oh. We're together. We're stronger now, honestly. Yeah, and, absolutely. And we talk about the good times really more than the bad times. And we say, you know, we wouldn't take it back, but if we had to do it again, we would do it totally different. Yeah. And, yeah. and RV would not be in the picture. Yes, and you can probably <laughs> laugh about, I mean, how oh. preposterous your struggles were. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's literally giggling over, I can see her, and she was just like, she's doing like the mind blown motion, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I forgot about that. Like, like this stuff. Oh, it's my just wild. Gosh. It's just wild. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. So, so grateful got... to get to chat with you. Yes. Yeah. Go so on. Got, Sorry. So you, got back to, you got back to SoCal, and then your wife was able to find a job, and then you found a job. Was that in the telecom industry? Yes. I got desperate. So, on our way back home, we were near. Yosemite area. And I got a call from one of my old Sprint coworkers and my old Sprint team were like family. I mean, we call each other, we FaceTime each other. Like we all hop on the phone like once a month and catch up. And so it was not unusual for me to hear from him. And he was like, Nicole, there's this position that just opened up at my job. And I think you'd be great for it. You should check it out and apply. It was telecom, but it was on the call center side of telecom. So I was like, okay, well, maybe this is like that thing that's familiar, but still something new and different. I'll try it out. I ended up getting hired on and I managed three call centers, one in Mexico, one in the Dominican Republic, and then one in the Philippines. And the people that I got to work with were so great. I mean, they were very fun. Every call center I worked with, just full of vibrant people and fun people. And the team that I got to work with, it's like very startup mentality. Not a lot of people have done each job. You're responsible for creating your position and there's not a lot of structure, which I'm used to a lot of structure coming from a giant corporation like Sprint Verizon. Mm -hmm. And so it was challenging to get to know what I was supposed to be doing on a daily basis. But my boss, oh my gosh, I noticed that I was being treated differently than the other people that I was working with. And so there's these two girls that I was close with. We would have like a little girls check in every now and again and just kind of vent and, you know, virtual working world. That's the only way you get real like human connection anymore is through a screen. So mm-hmm. we were making friends and I was like, do you notice that Jim is different to me than the other people on the team. And they were like, yeah. And one girl had just gotten hired on right before me. She was like, yeah, but why? Like, this is so weird. And the other girl had been there for like a year. And she was like, yeah, I've noticed it. And I know why. And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, well, let's just say you're not the first person of your sexuality to be treated like this. And I'm like, wait, what? And I I just couldn't grasp it, you know? And she's like, well, we've had three other gay people leave the company because he treated them the same way. Wow. And he just was allowed to get away with it. Oh, Oh. he's best friends with the COO of the organization and they've worked together for 15 plus years. Wow. I know. And so of course I was like, well, do I bring this to HR? If three other people have left, they've got to know about this. And they knew because the last person that left, I actually reached out to him on LinkedIn. And I said, this is what I'm experiencing. I don't need you to tell me what you experienced. I don't want to intrude. I'm sure you want to move on. And I want you to do that. But I'm looking for just confirmation. Am I crazy? Or is this really what's happening with him? And he confirmed it. He said, that's exactly what I went through. I got called out publicly constantly. I got degraded for not knowing my job, even though I was brand new. HR was fully aware of the situation because my exit interview, I gave them multiple examples. So I was like, oh, great. So I brought it to HR and they did an investigation. They interviewed everybody that I worked with. They came up with the fact that there was no 
evidence of any sexual orientation discrimination, as they put it. And so I had gotten the toast job offer the same day. It was so ironic. I was going to put in a notice, but I was also new. And I was like, well, if I put in a notice, they'll probably just let me go anyways, because, you know, I'm training still. I'm new. Like, why would they waste time training me if Mm -hmm. I'm still new and I'm going to leave anyways? And so I put in my notice the next day and I said, I'm resigning immediately. And when HR called me and she was such a nice person, but I was like, how are you like so blind to this? Or Uh are you covering or what's going on? It was just so strange. And I said, I just can't work for a company that is okay with this. And she was like, well, we're going to do a restructure and you won't be reporting to him if you do want to stay. And I'm like, no, this is not good enough. And I just, I couldn't do it. And even though the toast offer came in, like literally the timing couldn't have been more perfect, Marie. I felt so relieved and I just didn't even care to put in a notice. I didn't want to, they didn't deserve it at that point. And so I just resigned immediately on Monday. I got the call on Friday about everything, resigned on Monday. And I just waited out my, what, week and a half, two weeks or whatever until I started toast. And that's another reason why I was just so relieved within that first week coming on board with Toast because I was just like, oh my gosh, people are accepting here. Like they're encouraging and they mean it. This is so different than literally what I just went through with this other company. I was just so overwhelmed with gratitude, honestly. I'm so glad for you. (laughs) I just, uh, it's so upsetting though, this pattern Mm -hmm. and it makes me want to do an executive roundtable on this topic because in my situation, I worked for this environmental consulting firm for 28 years and it was a really great experience overall. It was a great place to work. But towards the end of my time there, I worked as part of a corporate communications group. And mm-hmm. my coworker was a young woman from Costa Rica, wow. brilliant engineer. And our boss was a woman who was about my age, but she treated my coworker horribly. Absolutely oh, wow. horribly. I'm not sure whether it was racism or whether it was condescension or what exactly was the reason. But mm-hmm. finally, my coworker actually, and throughout the time I was having a really hard time with this, I would say to her, do you want me to do something? You know, what can mm-hmm. I do? So finally, she submitted a complaint. She actually went to HR and we had a, it was a a huge company. So they had quite a process for reporting discrimination. So they assigned a lawyer and interviewed my coworker and interviewed me. And I was very open about what I was seeing. And there was Mm -hmm. a problem with not only my boss, but our boss's boss as well. They were both really awful. And so unfortunately, both women, unfortunately, but anyway, nothing happened. And the way that it, yeah, the way that it worked in our company was we never heard what the result was. It was all supposedly confidential, but of course they knew, of course they knew about it. They were talked to about it. And so they continued to treat her horribly, but it was supposedly, you know, no retaliation. So then my coworker continued to put up with it, but then she ended up resigning and she and her husband, they went sailing for a year. So she went off the grid and then I was continuing to work there, but then my company got acquired like yours. Mm -hmm. And then I was the first one to be let go. (gasps) Oh my gosh. So it was retaliation against you too. Yes, I'm sure it was retaliation. And it took me a little while. I didn't really realize that right away. It took me a while to figure that out. That it was totally retaliation because I could have done so many other things. I was very versatile and I'd done a lot of things in the company, but it was totally retaliation. It was like immediately right after the year when it took effect. Yeah. So I'm really curious about how often. Now, this was a huge company. Yours was a small company. I know that smaller companies don't generally have very good policies in place, but it can happen anywhere that these things are not taken seriously. Yeah. That's it's horrible. Crazy. Horrible. And so I've only been in business for a couple of years, but I have a no asshole rule. I have seen too yeah. many companies. And actually after that big company, I worked for a smaller company for a year mm-hmm. and I saw this one guy, well, a number of men get away with treating other people like crap and nothing was oh, happening. Yeah. Nobody was doing anything about it. And I'm just fed up with that. I cannot deal with that. Even though you were part of the process, I can't believe you were retaliated against also later on. You're speaking the truth. Yeah, but I couldn't have proved it because the way that they explained it, I was a communications manager who specializes in sustainability and corporate citizenship. So the answer was, Jacobs is taking sustainability in a different direction. We don't need you anymore. But everybody that I worked with was shocked that I was let go. And because I'd been there so long, they said, you can find another job in the company or you can take your severance. 
And I was like you, it's like, I don't want to work for a company that has these people in charge Yeah, allows people to get away with this. So I took my servants left, you know, I don't blame you. I would have done the same thing and good for you for standing up for what's right. I mean, geez. Oh, it was horrible. horrible. Wow. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened to you too. Well, <laughs> it's all a part of, you know, everything works out. I really feel like I can no longer work in an organization that treats people like that. It's horrible. Yeah. So I'm so sorry that happened to you as well. But I settled like you landed an amazing place. You know, I, I can't complain because it was only two months that I was there. And no, that should not have happened. No, that man should not be working there anymore. You know, but it makes me even that much more grateful for toast because I just honestly, the grass is greener sometimes on the other side. I'm just so grateful. Like after the last two years and how crazy everything was and everything we've experienced, I feel like I'm at home with them and it's warm and it's inviting and the leadership. I mean, our CEO, Chris Comparato just signed into the Diversity and Equity Act, which is like this CEO initiative across major companies that are trying to, or they will, and they are putting diversity at like the forefront of their priorities. Mm. And it's things like that, where I'm just like, damn, you know, like, I'm proud to be here because they're doing the right thing. And I think it's just incredible. They're doing such good work. That's amazing. You know, I have another podcast called Companies That Care, and I interview oh. business leaders that are trying to make the world a better place. So it sounds like I need to interview somebody at Toast. To talk I think about you Toast. do, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's a couple of people just off the top of my head that would be incredible people to interview. That would be fantastic. And Absolutely. I want to spread the word about companies that are doing all the right things, and it sounds like Toast is doing that. Yeah. I'm trying to get involved more on the DEI side of things with Toast, and Right now I'm in restaurant success and it's more of like a customer oriented position, but training and development is more what I'm passionate about. And so I'm just trying to like get my feelers out there with like the people team and the DEI team and stuff like that. And I have a meeting coming up with a director of the DEI organization for Toast. And it's just like so random because I'm just like, she's one of the people that I would refer for this type of situation because... She's just this powerful black woman that is just incredibly humble and so sweet and is doing all the right things. I mean, gosh, there's so many people. I'll Uh, I'll definitely send you a list. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds fantastic. So I just have a couple of final questions that I always ask people. So is there a story of grit and resilience and finding fertile ground that has been an inspiration for you in your life? Honestly, I don't want to like toot my own horn by any means, but I feel I've just been through so much and that's why I want to spread gratitude and good things to everybody. And I mentor people and keep in contact with people. And I do everything I can to uplift everyone that I'm around. And I think it's just because of the pain that I've endured through life and being the new kid as a kid and you know, my mom dying young. And I know that I blend in with the masses, but I know that other people have it harder. And I know that I have privilege that I probably take for granted at times. But at the same time, I just want to do good for everyone and everybody around me because everybody deserves to be happy and treated with respect. I wish there was an easier answer for that. There's nobody I really look up to as far as that. I mean, I just look back at my life and I just I take my challenges as learning experiences and, and I just try to spread good. That's great. There have been a couple of other people who have answered that question that way as well. So it's great that you can be an inspiration to yourself. I like that. Well, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate I feel, that because it sounds well, silly. <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't. And I feel the same way about myself as well, because that's why I podcast about grit and resilience. It's about me, mm-hmm. what I've done in my life and what I've gone through and how yeah. I'm stronger. And I realized that I'm naturally a resilient person, even though I've been through a lot. And yeah. so I think that's you as well. You're a naturally resilient person. So yeah, that's good to be proud of that. And how can listeners reach you if they want to get in touch with you? Well, I do have an Instagram of pictures that I've took along our travels. And it's actually my dog's names, Chaco and Chai tour the US. And there's cute pictures of them doing silly stuff around the country and lots of drone photos and beautiful places that we got to see. LinkedIn is a good one. Also, Nicole Lee Toast is what you could search. There's probably a million Nicole Lees out there. So (laughs) um, put in Toast as well, and and I'm sure I'll pop up. And is your dog named Chai, like C-H-A-I? 
Yes. <laughs> you know, you are the only person I've ever met who has a pet named Chai. Like we had a cat named Chai. Oh, how funny. <laughs> I know. And she, she died many years ago. But, you know, when my husband and I got engaged in India and we loved Chai. And at the time, Chai was not, I mean, I'm way older than you. So when we came to the U.S., then nobody was drinking Chai. Nobody knew what Chai was. So it was very unusual back then. So yeah. I love it. She, she was seven when we got her and she came with the name Charmander. And I, I thought that was just too long of a name. Yeah. So yeah. I was searching for names that were shorter and that started with C-H-A and I said, Chai, and she looked over at me like, yes. And I said, okay, that's you. We didn't even talk about your fostering dogs. That's amazing too. (laughs) Oh, we picked up five different dogs on the road while we were traveling. Five different. So you were with dogs dogs. in that little space as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, on top of our two, we rescued three different peoples. One of them, it was in the Austin storm when it was like negative three degrees or something in Austin. And he was just sitting outside. He was a homeless dog, but he had a person and the person abandoned him. And so we took him in and I partnered with a rescue organization immediately. And we found him a foster within 24 hours and we saved his little life. He would have died that night. I wholeheartedly believe that. And yeah, there was another little guy we found in Florida in the Keys and it was like 95 degrees, like a million percent humidity. And he was running across the main highway where it's five lanes. And I got out of the car and I ran across those five lanes of traffic trying to get this dog and we found him under a u-haul trying to get away from the sun and uh, he was a dog that was on vacation with his family and got out of the whatever property they were vacationing in and i partnered with the spca found his home because he was chipped got his people and they got to bring their dog home instead of leaving him in florida so the success stories for rescuing animals on the road and we named every single one of them oddly enough we named them even though we didn't know their names (laughs) that's amazing yeah it was fun it was a lot of fun and I took pictures with each of them too, so I could remember them. Do you have two dogs now or do you have more than that? We do. Yeah, there's Choco, who's a little chocolate brown, Minpin Chihuahua mix, and he's four. And then Chai is a Pomeranian Chihuahua mix, and she is nine now. And they went everywhere with us, Puerto Rico, Mexico, all around the U.S. and the RV. They've been to Mexico probably six or seven times each. They go everywhere wow. with us. I know. That's amazing. Well, I could talk to you for hours, Nicole. But <laughs> I have to get back to life. But it's been really, know, right? really, I know it's been really fun to chat with you and get to know you Me a little too. bit better. And please thank your wife for her patience. Oh, yes. thank you so much. Yes. Oh, it's been a lot of fun and yeah. lots of reminiscing. And I've yeah. enjoyed it very, very much. Thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> have so a great much. day. You do the same. Thank you. Wasn't that an amazing story? I love Nicole's positive energy and commitment to helping others. And now we know what to do if we ever take a cross-country trip. Don't buy a new RV. You can see photos and learn more about Nicole at www.fertilegroundcommunications.com. Look for the Finding Fertile Ground podcast tab. Listeners, did this episode inspire you? I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or have an idea for a guest or topic I should cover, drop me a line at marie at fertilegroundcommunications.com. Thanks for listening to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review.